I'm Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. And boy, are we making a lot of progress on that front. I feel like every day there is a major development on our journey to rein in big tech and normalize and level the playing fields. Before I get to that, another favorite topic on the show is China. And, <laughs> you know, actually, the Chinese government, the communist Chinese government, might I add, is doing a really great job to level the playing field against their big tech monopolies. Because, as you all know, no one else besides the Chinese Communist Party can have true power in a totalitarian government. And that is why you are seeing what is going on with DD. DD is basically Uber of China. Uber actually owns a pretty good stake of DD because Uber had uh, Uber China and then that merged with DD. They got an ownership stake in DD. They got a board stake in DD. Basically, what happened is DD recently IPO'd uh, right before the July 4th weekend. Here's their stock price down over 20%. Uh, from uh, from where it opened, and then right after opening, you know, it's actually over sixteen dollars. So you know, it would be down even more from from its high. That was on Thursday, July first. So what happened here? Basically, right when DD IPO'd, like right when they IPO'd, the Chinese government literally banned the app off of the App Store in China. Thing IPOs, apps are taken off the 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 App Store. Uh, Chinese government says we're we're launching all these investigations into you. We gotta, you know, we gotta look into this. Yada yada yada. There are already now lawsuits, U.S. shareholder lawsuits against Didi and its directors and the underwriters. It just went public on June thirtieth. Now you got multiple class action lawsuits here. It lost over fifteen billion dollars of market value. It raised over $4 billion in its IPO. The Chinese cybersecurity regulator announced on July 2nd that it had begun an investigation of Didi uh, and two days later ordered that the company's app be removed from smartphone app stores. <laughs> so on July 4th, apps are off the app store. The thing is public for five days. <laughs> two days after going IPO, you've got the Chinese regulators saying, we're announcing, we're, we're, we are uh, starting an investigation against your company. The way that these companies, these Chinese companies IPO, because they're not technically allowed to have uh, U.S. and foreign investors, so they set up these shell companies. So the corporate structure employed by Didi and other large Chinese companies that list in the U.S. could present a challenge to plaintiffs. U.S. shareholders can only own stakes in Chinese tech companies indirectly through offshore companies known as variable interest entities which the Chinese government has suggested it will begin regulating more closely. So when you buy a share of DD, you don't actually even own a share of DD. You own a shell company, which has a stake in the actual Chinese entity that's called DD. So that's a little disconcerting. Now, this is not anything new. Uh, we have been, uh, Wisdom Tree, in all their wisdom, uh, which Platt uh, and, and the uh, Wisdom Tree Growth Leaders Index which we helped launch with Wisdom Tree. Wisdom Tree limited Chinese exposure in that index over a year ago. So there are a, a, a minuscule portion, although there's a lot of Chinese tech platform companies that would certainly meet the criteria and, and our platform businesses certainly and should be in the uh, platform index. 
they're actually not in the in the index or in the ETF because uh, Wisdom Tree got out in front of this thing and limited its exposure to these Chinese companies over a year ago. Very smart move, seeing a lot of this stuff coming. This isn't the first time, right? Uh, we had uh, President Trump uh, sign legislation which would uh, require uh, more transparency and auditing uh, uh, standards to be complied with by Chinese companies over the next few years that, you know, we've talked about this on the show where, you know, for some reason, all the companies that list on, on U.S. stock exchanges have to follow Sarbanes-Oxley and all these really um, aggressive uh, regulatory and, and audit requirements, except for Chinese companies. And we've already seen Luckin Coffee, this uh, Financial Times article mentioned. Luckin Coffee was like the Starbucks of China. You know, this was no like shabby coffee company, which literally defrauded all their books. There's a bunch of fraud from these Chinese companies. We don't have transparency. We don't even have proper legal protection because you actually just own a shell company. You don't actually own it. Even if you own some of the company, it's still in China. What are you going to do? These Chinese companies are tapping U.S. markets, getting U.S. dollars, getting U.S. pension dollars, and they're just defrauding Americans. But this is nothing new. What is interesting, though, with this case... Uh, with this DD case is that they really ticked off the Chinese government. Um, and that's why I think this is only the beginning uh, for DD's pain. We've also seen the Chinese government become way more aggressive in the past few months towards tech monopolies. We've covered this at infinitum with the ByteDance CEO stepping down, the, the Pinduoduo CEO stepping down with Tencent and other tech monopolies in China that have come under immense scrutiny because they've gotten so much power. But Didi basically flaunted, basically brushed the regulators aside. And that to me is where it is, is actually where if this was a, a legitimate legal case in the sense that, you know, we had standing and this company could actually be held accountable because it was in the US and not China, whole other story. Here's the real issue is that now what's coming out is that these Chinese regulators had suggested to DD that it delay its U.S. IPO weeks before the IPO actually took place. Weeks before DD Global went public, China's cybersecurity watchdog suggested that the Chinese ride-hailing giant delay its IPO and urged it to conduct a thorough self-examination of its network security. But for DD, waiting for that would be problematic in absence of an outright order to halt it still went ahead. Chinese government says, hey, maybe you should delay this, right? And then they they don't heed their advice and they just go ahead anyway and do the IPO. Yeah, Chinese government, not so happy. You line up what Jack Ma said back in October of 2020, where he was saying, yeah, you know, financial regulators kind of stifle innovation and slow us down. Pretty much what he said, right? They literally canceled the anti-PO. This guy disappeared, like one of the richest people in Asia, disappeared for a month. He went into re-education probably. Now, you know, he's singing the tune and all this. The guy didn't even say anything that bad. Uh, Didi got a notice from the China from the, this Chinese regulator saying, "Hey, maybe you should conduct a review." And and China, particularly on tech and data, but this is also the way they see it is an infrastructure play. This is like their taxis, right? This is how people get around in the country. They're seeing this as very sensitive information, which is probably correct. We in the U.S. have have stumbled. We've let TikTok. We've we've gotten rid of the controls on TikTok. We just the what we're doing here is just it's just such a travesty. We're, the China is just walking all over us. I'll, 
That's a rant for another time. They got the notice. They didn't do anything. They went ahead with the IPO anyway. They didn't alert investors. They didn't say anything to investors that, um, you know, the Chinese agency had told them to do a review and maybe they should delay the IPO. Nope. Nothing around that. And that really is, I think, where, where they do legitimately have a liability because they were not transparent with their investors. And as a result, now you see what happens. The investors have lost a lot of money. DD got its check. Uh, and who foots the bill? The, the investors, predominantly probably U.S. investors. So yeah, I, I think this is just, you know, uh, uh, the beginning of many bad things to come to DD and other Chinese tech companies. We've, this is not, not the first case, as I've noted. China critics in Washington believe the legislation should serve as the starting point for a broader decoupling of capital markets between the countries. This is referring to the legislation that Trump signed into law, I think maybe uh, last year, um, putting tighter standards on Chinese companies listed in the U.S. Decoupling. It's the only solution. It is time. This is the great decoupling. And we are just at the beginning period of it. It is, it is time to decouple, uh, not just with China, but with communists, right? We thought that we could work with, with communists. We thought that we could change their ways and we could bring capitalism into the country and that they would change. But they haven't changed. They have taken advantage at every step of the way for now years, but now decades, and they're not going to change. So it's time to decouple. This is just one example of a myriad of examples, a communist dictatorship, totalitarian government, doing what it pleases at the expense of everyone else. And, you know, that's the communist way. So what are you going to do? You just can't do business with them. You can't depend on them. you got to decouple. Jim Cramer, quote, you're a moron if you buy a Chinese deal after this. You're a moron. I don't care if it pops. Why do you need to put your capital at risk after this? The great decoupling has started. All these companies, unfortunately, that have invested money into China, they can't get their money out of China, right? So, yeah, you put $100 million into China. Hey, you made $500 million in China. So can you take like $200 million back? No. So did you make $400 million? Or did you just lose $100 million? Yeah, I actually think it's the latter. It's going to impact stocks, right? I mean, it's going to impact these companies. You just, you can't rely on the numbers. Um, you can't rely on it. It's just none of it's verified. And it's, I guarantee a bunch of it's garbage. I would get out in front of this if you can. Okay, next topic. Shopify recently announced that it is going to cut its App Store developer fees for developers on their first million dollars in revenue. So... Shopify will no longer take a cut of the first million dollars a developer makes on its app store. This article says this move, this follows similar moves by Apple and Google and Microsoft and Amazon and yada, yada, yada. But I actually think this is a little bit different. Shopify is not a platform. They're not in plat. And the reason why is because they're trying to become a platform, but they're not a platform yet. They haven't built a material enough platform business. Um, this developer platform is a candidate for that. They, you know, they also have Shop, their product marketplace, where you can buy products from their different merchants. 
that's also another plot. But Shopify, they're very smart. They understand what they're doing, but they grew up as a pipe. They grew up more of a, as a SaaS company that is now trying to make the evolution into a platform company. Platform company can have multiple types. You can have linear business, which would be SaaS, and you can have platform business revenue. You can have both. That's actually the art. And we've talked about it many times on the show. We had Nick, my co-author, we had Kara from Wisdom Tree on the show talking about how we look at platform revenue and how do we quantify platform revenue, right? Because many of these platform businesses just take Amazon. They've got a lot of linear revenue, whether they're um, selling their own products, whether they're buying products and reselling products, right? Uh, all the value-added services that they do, um, AWS. So what is platform revenue? Like, for example, the third-party sellers and the revenue they make from, from third-party sellers selling products in the marketplace versus 1P or Amazon Basics. That is linear revenue. So doesn't mean that to be a platform business, you have to only have platform revenue, but you have to have enough platform revenue that you meet certain minimum criteria. Shopify is not their keyword, optimal word yet. But I think eventually they will be. They don't have a monopoly on the App Store like Apple and Google do. And I'm going to get to that more in a second here. Ben Thompson has a good piece on this. This is in the Apple versus Epic trial. Here's a transcript from that. And the judge is asking Tim Cook why they lowered the fees. Was it from competition or was it for other reasons? So here, here it is. Uh, judge Rogers it is, right? Judge Rogers. Uh, the issue with the one million dollar small business program, at least from what I've seen thus far, that really wasn't the result of competition. That seemed to be a result of the pressure that you're feeling from investigations from lawsuits, not competition. Cook said it was the result of feeling like we should do something from a COVID point of view and then electing to instead of doing something very temporary to do something permanent. And of course, we had the lawsuits and all the rest of the stuff in the back of our head. But the thing that triggered it was we were very worried about small business. So Cook kind of just agreed with him, right? He, he didn't mention competition at all. Cook, it was competition after we did our 15. It was competition that made Google drop theirs to 15%. Rogers, I understand perhaps that when Google changed its price, but your action wasn't the result of competition. Oh, judge got him good. Judge got him good. So Shopify, very different situation. Shopify has other SaaS competitors like Big Commerce uh, and other competitors like WooCommerce. So again, Shopify SaaS, Big Commerce SaaS. And what are they all trying to do? Build a developer ecosystem. Everyone wants to be a platform, okay? And we, we've covered this also on the show where you look at all the S1s and you look at all the K1s. Look at how many times people call themselves a platform. Are they actually a platform? No, they're not. Everyone wants to say they're a platform. Everyone wants to be a platform. Are you actually a platform? Many times, no. So long story short, Shopify is lowering its fees because of competition. Shopify is in a very different boat. They don't have a monopoly, right? Whereas Apple does. We're going to talk about that in a second also. That said, I do love what Shopify is doing. I do really love the moves they're making. I think you got really good leadership there. They understand platform dynamics really well. You know, they're partnering. I mean, they're partnering with the with the tech monopolies, right? Google, for example, to try and get an edge against what Amazon's doing on shopping and and Walmart and these players. I mean, um, I really like, you know, their uh, their moves, even though 
they're not yet a platform business. Shifting to the tech monopoly platforms, every day there is a new development when it comes to antitrust. I don't even know where to start. So at the end of the day, you got to take a lot of shots. And, And basically what you're seeing happening right now is you are seeing the U.S. legislative and um, regulatory and judicial areas of government all just take their best shot at these tech monopolies. It's basically a shotgun blast and they're trying to just see what sticks against the wall. Is that the best approach? I don't know. Some could argue yes or no. But we have a very fragmented system with a lot of different disparate players. And so I don't think it's realistic to kind of have one big grand coordinated scheme amongst all of them. Net net, I am very positive about all these different developments that are coming about. I think they are hitting on the right issues. They could be a little bit more tactful and focused in how they in in how they bring the case together. But because they are taking getting so many reps at it, I think eventually they'll get there. Um, so let's dive into to let's start with some of the bad news, which I think is a good example about some of the missteps, right? Like you, but but then the bad news comes out one day, and like literally the next day, there's more suits being filed. I mean, it's crazy the amount of activity. Uh, going on right now. So right before July 4th weekend, uh, Big Tech wins two two battles and fight with U.S. antitrust enforcers. Facebook won two big fights with antitrust enforcers as a federal judge threw out two lawsuits against it this week. In a stunning defeat, Judge James uh, Bosberg said the FTC, which had sued Facebook in December, asking that Facebook be forced to sell WhatsApp and Instagram, failed to show that Facebook had monopoly power in the social networking market, among other problems. What was the misstep here, right? So, again, while it's valiant to try and go after them for buying WhatsApp and Instagram, Facebook was a very different company all the way back then. They don't have nowhere. They had nowhere near the amount of dominance that they have today that they did back then. Instagram is very tough. That was like over a decade ago they bought that thing. WhatsApp is a little uh, closer to home. You know, it's not as long ago as Instagram, but still, it was a while ago. Now, and then the other bit of this is that they're generally trying to make the case that Facebook is a monopoly and tie that back to the consumer. This is the common uh, red herring that everyone keeps chasing because when you think about WhatsApp and Facebook, think about the producers, not the consumers. Who are the producers on WhatsApp and uh, Facebook. Yes, it's some of the same people, but the Facebook Instagram tie to the producer is much closer, right? And you think about how these tech platform monopolies take advantage of their customers. They take advantage of producers, not consumers. They take advantage of producers first. These are suppliers. On Amazon, it's third-party sellers. On Facebook and Instagram, it's content creators. On WhatsApp, it's people sending messages. So it's not Really, right? If you're trying to say, yeah, this is all one big monopoly, they shouldn't be able to do it. And and you're trying to prove that they're a monopoly. They're a monopoly to whom? To the consumer or to the producer. What they should be focusing on is saying that they're uh, imposing harm on the producers. That's where all these monopolies, when they uh, beat earnings every quarter, 
when they rip out some margin out of some imaginary place that you didn't think there was more margin to spare, where are they taking it from? They're taking it from the supplier, not the consumer. This thing is free to the consumer. They're taking it from the producer. And you see this all over the place. Facebook actually has the least amount of vertical integration. You know, when you look at other ad platform monopoly businesses like a Google and you look at Google search, uh, then it's very clear, right? Hey, if you're a hotel and you want to have your listings in, in the organic search results, well, good luck because now the first like two pages of Google search are now all ads and you got to pay the gatekeeper that is Google if you want to be a hotel that's still relevant, right? Perfect example, taking advantage of who? The producer. Yeah, you could try and make the argument indirectly that that money gets passed on to the consumer, but who is receiving direct harm? Producers. Who does the monopoly have power over when you say, hey, as a channel, Google search has over 70% market share, or as a channel for social networking, Facebook has over you know, 70% market share for social networking, whatever it is. So if I'm a business trying to get my message out there, if I'm a content creator who's been censored uh, by the social network, right, that is a direct harm to my livelihood, right? And that's what the courts look at. So what you need to say is, hey, with Facebook buying Instagram, that's going to create more harm to who? Content creators. Because when Facebook censors you, now you're being censored off of Facebook and Instagram, and that's only going to hurt more of the livelihood you know, of content creators that have been unfairly censored and have their rights violated and yada, 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 right? Something to that effect. Generally, these cases focus on the consumer rather than the producer. Or if they do focus on the producer, they're focusing on the producer and the consumer. And you just open yourself up to too much um, areas that, that, that the uh, defendants, the tech monopoly lawyers who are extremely good and well-paid, you know, they'll just, they'll, they'll pick away at this kind of stuff, right? They'll distract you about the consumer. You got to just stay focused. So I think eventually, you know, these different states and regulators will figure this out, but it's certainly taken them some time. So that's on the bad news. On the good news side, Google hit with an antitrust lawsuit by 36 states alleging app store monopoly. Okay. It's nice. But it's it's the App Store. You know, Apple doesn't even know how much money they make on the App Store. So where does Google make all of its money? You want to really inflict harm on these tech monopolies? You got to go after the money. Where does Google make? Hmm, where does Google make all of its money? Hmm, maybe. Oh, yeah. Google search and then kind of YouTube, but really Google search. But no, they want to go after the App Store. I mean, so, OK, it's good. It's one more thing for Google to worry about. Wonderful. Is it going to, is this going to spoil the golden goose? No. Next thing, I think these both came out on the same day. House Republicans lay out their antitrust agenda for tech giants. So remember I spoke about, you have the House Judiciary Committee, which is chaired uh, by a Democrat, you know, and, and the Democrats released their report and we read through it. We covered it. I think we actually live streamed uh, some of the hearings last year. The Democrats then uh, introduced a handful of bills, all with bipartisan support. I covered those on the show. Generally very positive on a lot of those. Some of the bills were overlapping, you know, kind of uh, to cover their bases. So they had kind of a, a couple overarching bills and they had bills within that, um, that that specifically drove home key points that were covered in the overarching bills. Generally. 
very good approach, was maybe primarily sponsored by a Democrat, but also had a Republican uh, uh, supporting it. So you had kind of bipartisan support. And again, these bills have a long way to go before they're even introduced to the House floor. This is just the Judiciary Committee. And then from the House, then you got to get consensus in the House, and then you got to go to the Senate, and then the president. It's a long way away, okay? Lots of lobbyists, lots of people with their hand out. We've already gotten their money. There is a long way to go. Expect these things to get watered down, and many of them killed off. We'll see what makes it through, if anything. And don't worry, we'll be following it. So, anyway, now the Republicans come out with their approach. And what their thing is really focused on is content censorship on Facebook and Google and other content platforms, right? Social media networks. They have some bit here on fast tracking cases in the in in the court system, which is good. But the real thing is they're zeroing in on Section 230. They want to revise the Section 230 protection, which I think makes sense. But they did not introduce this with uh, a Democrat support, so they just kind of introduced this as Republicans. And I think the reason why they're doing this is that they were saying they didn't see enough verbiage around. Removing Section 230 protection or uh, decreasing Section 230 protection for these platforms uh, in the bills that were brought forth by, you know, primarily the, the, the Democrats in the House Judiciary Committee. So, again, a valiant and appropriate uh, direction and thing to fight for, which is that when you have the level of censorship that these uh, content platforms are performing, are they still just a platform uh, versus are they now a publisher? And I think that's the key thing ultimately, which is what this Republican proposal is trying to get at. There's a line here. Section 230 was here to allow platforms to take down content around like pornography, right? Not to be able to ban people because they're talking about where COVID came from or vaccine hesitancy or, uh, election fraud and all these kinds of things, right? Uh, this is America. You can still talk. You should still be able to talk about these things. Unfortunately, you can't because we've got 1984 thought police people employed by Facebook and Google. This is literally their job um, is to you know regulate kind of the public discourse about these topics on their platforms. And it's a complete travesty to the entire value proposition of the platform business model, there is some moderation, which is appropriate in every platform, but they've taken what's appropriate, gone all the way to the end of the extreme, and then jumped off the cliff. It's not even close. So yes, they should be considered a publisher. They should be, uh, uh, they should have less of that liability and that shield uh, from section 230. So I think, again, all these things are valiant. They're all in the right direction. I'm not the one to say, will it work? And is this the right approach strategically from a legislation standpoint? And is it going to get through? But all these topics are in the right direction about different areas that we've seen big take, make big tech make very serious transgressions. Um, and the problem is that, you know, they make a, a small transgression. No one does anything about it. Then they make a bigger one and a bigger one and a bigger one. And then they start just doing it willy-nilly on, on crypto, right? We, we've had people on the show talking about how YouTube's taken, literally banned their entire crypto channel 
uh, with hundreds of thousands of users, no warning, just gone. Not only is all the channel gone, all the videos were gone, all the content gone. This is all over the spectrum. Um, and we've clearly seen that this is no longer a, a kind of, uh, you know, a partisan thing. This is now at, at the root of what it means to be an American and have First Amendment privileges, which are being infri uh, infringed upon every day by these big tech, big tech platforms, particularly the content platforms. Now, that's the other bit, which is President Trump announced his lawsuit against Facebook, Twitter, and Google. And then you had this guy, Alan Dershowitz, taught at Harvard Law School from 1964 through 2013, being hated by the media because he came out and said, this is the most important First Amendment case of the 21st century. And you know, now everyone's mocking him uh, for saying that this is an important case. But let's listen to what he said. It's important because it pits freedom of speech on the one hand against the First Amendment on the other hand. That may sound paradoxical, but remember, it's the high-tech giants that are banning freedom of speech. They are censoring, but they are claiming the right to do so under the First Amendment, so they're using the First Amendment as a sword against freedom of speech. That's why I call this the new censorship. And they're hiding under, right, Section 230 and a very loose interpretation about, you know, uh, what content is harmful. Um, and that they can then take down as a result. Let me be clear. It is a complete and utter travesty that they have continued to ban President Trump off of these platforms. And the crazy thing is that strategically, it's actually, I think, a, a moronic decision. And you've now seen just in the past few months, you've now seen multiple, there are already many um, free speech content platform competitors. We've covered many of them on the show. Just in the past couple months, you've had now multiple new ones sprout up that are getting millions of new users. So people are smart in this country and they're waking up day by day. Many of them are already awake and it's the great awakening. People are waking up to the transgressions of big tech and we're fighting back and we're winning and we will win more, some more and we will eventually uh, level this playing field. Not just against big tech, but big government. Free speech and the ability to talk openly online is a key part of that. You got to be able to communicate. These tech platforms do not, you know, are going way beyond what you actually need to do from a legal standpoint to comply with, uh, say, federal law or, or requests from the FBI or other agencies, right? But you've seen now uh, this, this, uh, this app called Getter, G-E-T-T-R, uh, was recently launched by Trump's uh, former, I, I guess, uh, like campaign advisor or something like that. They've gotten millions of subscribers just in a couple weeks time of being out. Um, you've got this, uh, one America news, they've launched their own social media network. Um, I mean, the irony is that these social networks are winner take all and it doesn't really, it's not really a, a good thing to have like five or 10 different alternative free speech, uh, social networks, but eventually I think you will see these things consolidate and there are different content uh, models, right? More of like a Twitter style model, which is what Getter is versus more of like a Facebook style model, which is what Gab is. Now, the irony is that, you know, Getter, for example, has a, a, a mobile app on iOS and Android. But what we've seen is that eventually these alternative content platforms will be censored by other tech monopolies, right? Which happened to uh, Parler, where their app was taken down. Um, then they were kicked off of AWS. 
and all that. It literally killed the company. They had to get rid of their CEO and all this stuff, right? So we've seen not only uh, big tech sensor content creators within their walled garden, but now we've seen the other tech monopolies that don't have content platforms, that have development platforms, for example, similarly censor the alternative free speech content platform. So it's all of big tech ganging up on free speech, basically. So there are a myriad of arrows being cast against the big tech monopolies. A lot of these things are going to bounce off their armor. They got a lot of money and some pretty good armor. Some of them are going to make it through. Um, and that's what's very exciting to see. And uh, you know, we'll help you to decipher which ones are the really good arrows that have the, have the right arc and are, and are trending in the right direction to actually pierce the beast. So, And then the other thing is that the FTC here, this article leaked recently, FTC heard concerns from Salesforce and Zendesk over Facebook's billion-dollar acquisition of um, customer with a K, basically a, a, a small CRM competitor. And I think that you know the idea is that Facebook's going to give that thing away for free to a bunch of its small businesses using business tools, right? And so um, uh, Salesforce and Zendesk didn't like that. That acquisition is still under review, and so is... And it's still reviewing, the FTC is still reviewing Facebook's $400 million acquisition of Giphy, which happened in May of 2020. So um, also a good sign where just to do you know, a $400 million acquisition, a billion dollar acquisition, look at the level of scrutiny that, that this thing is coming under. So uh, I think that's uh, pretty promising. So to close this out, even Wikipedia has its own content moderation issues. Even though there is, you know, Wikipedia is a nonprofit, even though there is no, you know, uh, um, level of centralized content moderation on Wikipedia, you have one of the former co-founders or one of the co-founders of Wikipedia, this guy named Larry Sanger. He's one of two co-founders with um, Jimmy Wales. And they co-founded Wikipedia together. He's published an article here saying Wikipedia is badly biased. And he goes on to cite a number of different examples about this. And I think it just goes back to the point that we're in an information warfare, whether it's the Chinese and the 50 Cent Army, whether it's uh, our own internal uh, forces uh, at these big tech monopolies, or it's just if you read it online and if you read it or if you read it online somewhere and like three other people send you something that looks similar, does that make it true? I think certainly to a lot of people, you would naturally think, oh, well, this must be, this must be true. Like I, I saw it in this publication and then like two of my friends just sent me something similar, right? Got to be true. Not the case anymore. And I think it just goes to show you the power of just new era where how humans percept reality and how we kind of come to a conclusion needs to change because it's very hard to know what's true anymore. And you see all this information online and it might, it might fit a narrative that, or a stereotype that you think is true. Even if you read it in what used to be trusted publications, we've cited the stats in the show before about how 
the the general uh, American trust in traditional media has just fallen off a cliff. And so how do you know if something's true anymore? It's very difficult. There's so much misinformation out there. That is the big tech monopoly's argument as to why they do so much so much censorship. It's because this is all misinformation. But the problem is that they should not be the arbiter. They should be the watering hole to allow ideas to come together and to have dialogue, right? They were the ones that were not allowing us to say that COVID came from a lab. We had Jim Rickards on the show, January 2021. And he published a book. And in the book, he said, hey, I read 100 scientific journals. Uh, the book, you know, went to publishing in July of 2020. So, you know, he had read all these journals back in the summer of 2020. And he had come to the conclusion that the virus came from a lab. You know how much trouble we got into for having that on the show, on, on the YouTube? And I asked him a great follow-up question, which was, Jim, well, of course it came from a lab, Jim, but like, did the Chinese release it on purpose? And for that answer, you're going to have to go to Odyssey and Rumble because that's too hot for YouTube. Um, but go check out the Jim Rickards interview on uh, Odyssey and Rumble and you will see the answer to that question. What the big tech monopoly said was true and that what was misinformation, it said it was misinformation that it came from a lab. That was like a few months ago. They just changed this, right? The, the, the kind of natural discourse in America about what was acceptable to talk about COVID just changed in the past couple months. But if you had talked about that, I mean, if we, we don't have hundreds of thousands of subscribers, but if we had had hundreds of thousands of subscribers, we would probably be kicked off of YouTube right now. And so it's not up to the platform to determine what's misinformation. And that, unfortunately, is the place that they've stepped into. And that is what makes them a publisher as opposed to a platform. Yes, there's a lot of misinformation, but you have to trust Americans that they are able to make up their own minds, that they can uh, make proper decisions, that they can use logic, that they can adjust and, and adapt to understanding that we are in information warfare. And there is a lot of misinformation out there. And just because you read it, even what, from what, what you historically thought of as a trusted publication, it still may not be true. And I, and I actually think that there's a lot of people in this country that understand that very intimately, playing the role of publisher as a big tech monopoly. You're actually taking that away from the individual. Not only are you taking away their First Amendment rights, but you're taking away the respect to treat people like they have a brain and that they can use critical thinking and make up their own minds and that they can use logic to decipher uh, what's true or what's not, or if they're not totally sure that you know, they won't make rash decisions on that. And I think we owe it to uh, humanity to put our faith and trust in people, and Americans in particularly, that they have good judgment and that they can sense, uh, you know, the real stuff from the fluffy stuff. So with that, thank you so much for joining us today. I will talk to you soon.